quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, So There I Was, which is how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode number 78. That's a lot. I know. What's the title? I went full sear on him. Full sear. <laughs> Name rank and serial number. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It was. That was, I didn't see that story coming, but I'm glad it did. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. The sponsor this week is Robin's BirdBrainDesigns.com. Custom laser edge gifts. Reach out to Robin's gift giving seasons coming upon us quickly. Reach on out there. Reach. Let's talk a little more about the sea bass. Sea bass. Sea bass is our special guest. He's a retired Marine AV8 Harrier pilot. Aviator extraordinaire, which had some uh, different beginnings. He was an aviator. Some real bumpy beginning. I'm shocked. <laughs> I, I am shocked this man made it into the Marine Corps, especially after his first encounter with the cr- recruiter who said, Tell me why you want to be in the Marine Corps more than anything in the world. He's like, I don't know anything about the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> Five minutes later, he was out, and it wasn't until he finished Navy helicopter flight school that right. his career path changed. He, he was a NAVCAD. Finished flight school, well, didn't get his wings. Yeah, he was in the uh, he was in the helicopter training when they when they did a reduction in force, and that's a horrible story. But it happened to a bunch of guys. It it did happen to a bunch of guys, and in his case, it turned out to be a real blessing, right? I mean, he got to go fly jets, which was, was his dream in the first place. So, for cool. a guy who didn't know anything about the Marine Corps, uh, he spent twenty two years. years. <laughs> Uh, no awesome good deed story. goes unpunished. <laughs> That's right. Let's see. Uh, he had some great stories. Uh, he lost an so engine many. control at night I, in a Harrier. Of course, at night. It never happens in the daytime. Oh. I think there's a. I think there's a photo sensor actually on the engine control. If it's light out, it's going to work. Of course, because <laughs> nothing nothing bad happens during the day. Yeah. Came to a boat a hover stop and hovered next to the boat in zero zero. Much wailing and screaming. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Some great stories about some of his deployments, things he got to do on the road, including my favorite, he got a guns kill on a Hornet. Man, Harriers don't get to beat up on Hornets very often, but he got to listen to the show and find out why that wasn't really a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Weird. Yeah. What? There's a story about a gay chicken. Yeah. Gay chicken, but it wasn't a gay chicken. That's right. actually a game. I almost fell out of my chair when he started I did telling too. us about that. I did too. You got to be kidding me! What Marines and sailors won't do to entertain themselves? <laughs> anyway, you, you got, you're going to enjoy this. You're going to enjoy yeah. Sea Bass's stories, just like all of them. Absolutely are. Can't get enough. A couple quick other admin things we do need to mention this week, though. A couple huge thank yous have to go out. Fig, do you remember who? Huge. Well, Chucker Huge. became uh, Chucker. a triple tanker aircraft commander. Chucker, you are off the charts, buddy. Thank we you. are bowing to you, sir. You, you got to come on the show. You are a great sponsor. We appreciate that. And he, he put us in touch with a couple more uh, Vietnam era vets that maybe we yeah, can we're looking at getting a gent on. He's uh, is it expressed a willingness to chat with us. He was on on board in the uh, Forestall fire over in Vietnam. So that's uh, some pretty famous footage there. We look forward to having that gentleman on. And another another relatively famous, at least to people who listen to this show, gent by the name of Lawman, reached out to us this week and became a tanker aircraft commander himself. Thank you, Lawman. Thank you, Your Lawman. is on the way. 
<laughs> yes. That's all I'm going to say. Your That's bikini's all. on the way. I so. like that. Oh, I like gosh. that a lot. Hey, guess what I was able to put in the merch store this week, Vic? Did you get a hoodie? I did, brother. Yeah. Several different colors. Yeah, there's white, there's red, there's blue and all that. I, I really only think the black one looks good with the with the banner on the back. I may go in and put one in that you can exclude the banner on the back and just have the logo on the front because, you know, the, the black banner on the white hoodie looks kind of silly, but go get yourself a hoodie. Go check out the rest of the merch at so there I was us slash merch. And one other little fun thing I put up on the website, so there I was us is a quiz, a little trivia quiz. Answer some questions from our past shows. And you know what? I was able to come up with four questions off the top of my head. Now it's up to you, dear listeners, to provide us with more questions. That's awesome. All right. What do you say we get out of the way? Let's see Bass tell us stories. Let's do it. And here's another one where we can say because he flew both Halos and Jets. Don't sit on the collective. Crossing the pond. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Here's Seabass. The world's smallest cockpit. On the tanker. Through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was behind the boat at night, one mile. Asked me to call the ball, and I saw nothing. I kept going, and LSO came on and said, I recommend hover stop. I went to the hover stop. I never decelled to a hover in the goo before, and now I know why. It wasn't, it wasn't the most fun thing I ever did. <laughs> and hopefully you never did it again. Oh, dear God, that's how all great aviation tales begin. Greetings, everybody. Repeat here. Coming to you from Indianapolis, and I'm here with my co-host. Where are you today, Fig? Fig. Fig's in. Uh, hello. Fig is in third person. I'm in Kearney, Missouri, <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri. And this is our, that's terrifying story was from our guest, Seabass. Welcome, Seabass. Yes, indeed. Thank Welcome. You. So I, don't let us forget, we want to get into that call sign. I'm sure that's entertaining, but let's go back to the beginning. How did you get interested in aviation? What happened? And why didn't anyone talk you out of it? I've always wanted to fly. <laughs> I don't think anybody could have. I was interested in flying since I was a little kid. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Texas and you know, I, I remember my my mom's cousin drove a truck through town, and in the back he had a, a Learjet, like a sales setup, where it was a cockpit demo. And uh, he didn't really know how to work it, but he let me get in there and mess around when I was probably about five years old. And it was really cool. I got to like play in the cockpit, and I was like, I want to do this for a living someday. But uh, it wasn't until later I started, you know, watched a movie. Actually, I'm a, of the generation of Top Gun, and I certainly saw that a bunch, but really it was more of the right stuff. I wanted to be Chuck Yeager. Okay. I wanted All to be right. like that. Yeah. And so I thought that was cool. So I put in for Navy, Air Force, ROTC, scholarships and academies, and didn't even know the Marine Corps really flew anything. Got a call from the recruiter, and he said he wanted to, you know, wanted to know if I'd come down, the Marine recruiter, but if I'd come talk about a Marine Corps scholarship, and I could get me out of school for the day. Or for hey, at least a couple hours. Right on. All right. All right, cool. <laughs> so I did. I went down there, and... He asked me, the first thing he asked me, he said, okay, so tell me, why do you want to be a Marine more than anything in the world? 
and I, I was kind of taken it. I, I don't, I'm not sure you, who you think I'm, I'm here for. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about the Marine Corps. If you could maybe tell me some stuff. No, I want you to look me in the eye and I want you to tell me why you want to be a Marine more than anything in the world. And I said, sir, I just, I don't, I just got here. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. You know, only an idiot would say he wanted to join something more than anything in the world. If he didn't know anything about it. Right. And he said, well, I guess you don't want to be a Marine very bad. I said, well, I guess I don't. And I left. That was just the See whole ya. thing. It took about five minutes. Uh, so, <laughs> Some of our salesmen, you got to wonder. <laughs> well, this is in Texas where, I mean, it, they don't have to try hard to get people to enlist yeah, or sure. go to OCS. But I mean, they're, so it's a, it's a seller's market up there. So I went to A&M and I was in the Corps and most of my upperclassmen were kind of like that staff sergeant. We're not real ambassadors of uh, the Marine Corps. Not all of them. Some were really great guys, but all the Navy guys are pretty squared away. So I wanted to be like them. I took my military training a lot more seriously than I did my academic training. And at the end of two years, I was not, my grades were okay, but I saw my, my best friend and I saw an ad in the paper that said, do you want to be a pilot? Do you have 2.0, 2020 vision, or at least 19 years old? Come on down to the Navy recruiter and talk to us about the NAVCAD program. So I said, all right. All right. So we went down and talked to him, and he said, well, this is in April of 89. What would you say if I told you you could start flight school in the fall of this year? All right. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, what do I got to do? So I took all the tests and came back to me. All right, you're going to go to OCS, AOCS here this summer. All you got to do is quit school, and you're, you know, you're good to go. So, all right. So I had a short and uncomfortable conversation with my father about leaving school. And, uh, and I did. I went off to AOCS class 2089. I went through. I was, I was 19 years old. I turned 20 the week before I, no way. Week before I graduated. So I went nice. off to VT-27 in Corpus Christi for T-34s at 20 years old. And got helicopters. Went through the went through that program. I was about halfway through helicopters when they had the big force reduction of ninety. And you probably heard of that big riff. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I was remember that riff. fig? They took they took guys from guys who were finished practically. They had like one yeah. thing left to do. Yeah. The Navy. Took the guys. bottom two guys out. Of, yeah. Bottom yeah. two guys out of every we, class and said, "Don't let the door hit you in the backside on the way out." Right. Thanks right. very much for your time. Right. We got. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't quite. The, I mean, it wasn't the bottom two guys. It was a they. They it was kind of a random selection. How they had worked. Oh, even better. Even more fair. <laughs> yeah, we, we all got a meeting with the, the stand officer, and he told us where we were in the in the batting order from one to a hundred or whatever. I was just right about the midway mark, and they said they were going to cut the bottom third. So I felt pretty safe, but I wound up getting cut anyway. So I was upset. Brutal. You know, I was really mad at the Navy. Of, feeling that hasn't dissipated a whole lot in the past 30 years. Hey, hey uh, uh, Seabass, ha- had, had, you yeah. gotten, had you gotten winged, or was it while no. you were in, in the HTs? I was in the HTs. I was uh, just finished the solo. Okay. So, uh, okay. And I'll be honest, I didn't really want to be a Navy helicopter pilot at the time. No offense to those people that are undoubtedly listening, but it just wasn't a lot of cool stuff to do. If I was going to fly a helicopter, which is fun, I didn't want to do it in the Marine Corps. And my on-wing was a Marine. My drill instructor, obviously, is a Marine. I really adjusted my view of the Marine Corps, actually, when I was in the Navy. Yeah. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So 
I took the opportunity when I got out to, uh, to go and uh, now I want to be a Marine. Now, what do I got to do? Now I really do want to be a Marine more than anything. And I went to the OSO here in uh, Dallas and told him I want to be a Marine. And he said, well, what were your grades in college? I told him a uh, two point something. He's like, oh, well, I'm sorry. You know, you're not even remotely close. Don't. It's never going to happen. You should just, you know, you should, you should move on to something else. And I said, well, you know, I've already been to AOCS. I've already been to flight school. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I can do this program. And he's like, well, that's, that's maybe true. And that's great. But, you know, we've got five guys in front of you that got, you know, two, you know, two nine, three O's and you've got nothing. So I got, you know, I got nothing for you. Great. So wow. I asked him if I could just get the uh, paperwork and I'll do the application and see what, you know, happened from there. And he said, I'll get it all back to you. I said, all right, well, knock yourself out. Good luck. And I got all the paperwork done. I had a letter from my CO from the, from the HTs and my drill instructor and some guys like that. And I had it all back within two weeks from beginning to end. And the OSO was a pretty good guy. And he's just like, well, that's, again, that's great. But I, you know, I've got all my spots filled for next year. If I had an open one, I wouldn't give it to you. And, you know, Jeez. I think you should really move on with your life. I said, all right, well, I'm, you know, I'll just keep checking in with you and, and we'll see what happens. And so I called him every Friday for five months even after he told me to basically stop. And <laughs> then, the, you know, the the Gulf War was going on. And one of the guys that was over there, he was a reservist. He was supposed to go to, to uh, juniors that summer. Wasn't going to be back in time to go to juniors. And so yeah, they, that spot opened up late. And they, I guess he said, hey, just give it to that idiot that keeps calling. At least, he, you know. Leave me alone. He's going to show up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, if I give it to him, he'll quit calling. Yeah, exactly. So I wound up going to the combined course the following summer because there was some paperwork okay. issues. But yeah. So I went and did that. When I graduated, went to TBS, and then I went back to flight school. So did it all over again. Well, the second time around had to be a little funner primary. Uh, it was. It was yeah. It was different. I mean, the, the problem was is that I some of the, the instructors were, I, were guys I knew from when I was in the Navy, and everybody kind of knew right. who I was. It was a little, little bit in a fishbowl of – Oh, this is a guy that's already done it. So there was some unrealistic expectations. And then there was, you know, sure. I thought my, my biggest advantage was, is that I already knew not so much the information, but what to study and where to find it pretty quickly. And the process of being, you know, just one flight at a time and not trying to study too far in advance. And so I did, I did pretty well. Primary, second time. went so to. They made you go all the way back through primary. I, th- I think that's kind of funny. Well, they, yeah. they called right. me in and they, they said they, they pulled my record from when I was in the first time and said, everything's, you know, you're, everything's good. You had good grades. We're going to put you on what's called the accelerated program. So if somebody like shows up with, from Embry-Riddle with like a commercial instrument ticket, yeah. they qualify for this, this program. So they said they were going to put me on that. And what they ended up doing is flying me about once every two weeks because they knew I wasn't going to need a, a, a refresh, Jeez. a, a so warm-up flight. Yeah, not on a fast track at all. <laughs> no, but it worked out well. So I, you know, I made it. Went to Meridian T uh, twos and A fours, and then uh, okay, off to two or three. When was that? Oh, it, so nice. so uh, when when did you hit Meridian? What year was that, Seabath? Meridian is you see the summer of ninety five. So like August ninety five. Okay, I, you know, I got winged in October ninety six. Okay. Nice. Okay. Boy, I tell you what, 
that's a beautiful thing to hear. That persistence. I know, right? That is a, that is a lesson for so many people in this world. How many times do you hear people getting told no and then go away? I'm okay. sure I've done it myself. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I get. Well, they said no. You know, never going to happen. No, okay. Don't take no for an answer. Yeah. Keep bothering them if it's something you want to do. That is a great life lesson yeah. right there. That's outstanding. So it was uh, was a repeat. Was repeat at two or three when you went to the no, no I was gone. I, I left in April of ninety five. Okay, okay. So I was gone by then. All right. Then. I was there when uh, Snake was a CEO. When I was a student, Snake was a CEO. All right. And the instructors were you see Blotto, Cutter, <laughs> Cutter. Yeah. And of course, you ran across Greyhound once or twice too. I'm sure. Oh yeah, Greyhound. Yeah. We are still it's trying hilarious. to get him on the show. He's the raconteur extraordinaire of the Marine Corps. <laughs> he is very that slippery, guy. that guy. He is indeed. The person that ever told a story that was, I thought, actually kind of offensive to me in terms of like, you know, just, it was hilarious. It was a fun, one of the funniest stories I ever heard, but it's just like, he made me blush. I couldn't believe it. It was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has that way. That's hound. That's hound. That's hound. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's we actually, he was our squadron XO at one point, and uh, he had some XO when we checked When I checked in, he was yeah, the XO. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had some great, great stories. And if you walked into the ready room and, he, and to get a cup of coffee, and he was there telling stories, you were done for the, the rest of the morning or the rest of the afternoon. Yeah. It's just, you know, the stories would go on. And they were awesome. They were always great. But the th- one thing you couldn't get him to do was show up to club for happy hour. So at one point, we charged him at Kangaroo Court and I believe convicted him of the most hair on fire stories and the least hair on fire activity in the Marine Corps. <laughs> That's true. So. I guess I never did see him. He was a sim instructor, him and Fitz yeah. and some of the other guys that were there. Uh, yeah. But I never seen him at the shame. But, you know, the shame oh. was, that was back when the shame was in its prime. Still going. Yeah. Dirty shame. And it's a, a shame it's gone. So that was the Friday night O Club at Cherry Point was yeah. was the dirty shame. So or any of the night. Short walk. Yeah. I yeah. lived like sure in the apartments right behind it. So I mean it was oh, yeah. perfect. Know, fifty meters. Yeah. 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 Short, short walk. Drinking and walking was so, not a convictable offense. So that's a good thing. So your first gun well, squadron cool. was uh, VMA two twenty three. Oh two eleven. Nope. Okay. Yeah, I was a West Coast guy. All right. So hit, cool. hit the rag, hit uh, 211, and... Uh, well, I want to know how soon you got sea bass. Yeah. yeah. Where did uh, was that right uh, away? Or? Uh, yeah, fairly short. Uh, it's it's one of those call signs that that the more of the meanings came after I got it than before I got it. it was, okay. <laughs> they, they really were just dying to call somebody sea bass. It's from the movie Dumb and Dumber, the big angry... Yeah, kick his ass, sea bass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was... You know, I am a fairly decent-sized person. I am somewhat of a redneck, depending on who you ask him. I was in the ready room, and I was supposed to go fight the skipper, Gremlin, okay. uh, 1v1. And as I was walking out, some somebody yelled, you know, kick his ass, Seabass. And everyone started laughing, and I came back, and all that stuff was all over my locker. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just, That's a, you know, well, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Then oh. they adapted it later to, you know, big mouth, little brain, and other stuff like that. <laughs> Of course, got to, and you got to try to live up to it. Well, you know. well, the worst <laughs> thing you can do is try to avoid it. It's never, you know. Well, yeah. Right. It's, oh, that it's, it's like a well. fish hook. Just oh, digs yeah. in harder. Yeah, it's like blood in the water, man. As soon as they smell the blood in the water, it's it. That's all you're going to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's awesome. You know, could have been a lot worse, man. I mean, really, it could be. Yeah. yeah. 
how long were you in the gun squadron before you wound up getting out on your first deployment? And did you do the boat? Did you do Westpac? Well, I was in it for two years, and I was uh, I just finished uh, section lead WTO build up, you know, weapons training officer, and I was home on leave, and I got a you know my wife was kind of friends with the skipper's wife, and they were talking on the phone, and then she's like, "Hey, uh, the skipper wants to talk to you." I was like, "Oh, well, this isn't good," you know. I you know, oh, hey man. sir, what's up? He's like. <laughs> Say, hey, Seabass, I need you to come back, you know, as soon as you can from leave. We're going to deploy you, you know, immediately with the 15th Mew. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what okay. what squadron is, is that? And he's like, well, it's not really so much a squadron. You're going to be the assistant air officer for the 15th Mew. And it, it's it's kind of a long story because it, it went out without Harriers. They they want a Harrier guy on board, so they're sending you on as an, an additional assistant air officer. Had you already been trained? Well, that's helpful. Had you already been to oh. Yeah, absolutely not. Nor okay. did I. So, you know, at that point. Oh, wow. So uh, it was it was what they call today an IA. It was I was an IA before that was actually a thing. You know, an individual augmentee. Yeah. They just you know it was I think it's come up on the flight before on the on this before about Longshanks. It was his brilliant idea, and you know who I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, Longman was know. talking about him. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. He was a <laughs> lovely individual, much beloved by everybody that didn't know him. Mm-hmm. And he, they, you know, he basically and it was his idea. Yeah. And himself. <laughs> And uh, it was, yeah, they just, they just, we want a jet guy to go on this Mew, so you're going. And I'm like, all right. So I literally showed up. You know, it was, we really need you. It's really important. I show up the day, you know, we floated, and they're like, who the hell are you? And, you know, what are you supposed to do? And I'm like, so I just did various administrative things, you know, throughout the deployment. I'm here for right. my cruise. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So was it? Was Julie, six- the cruise director. I'm here for my cruise. Was it a six month yeah. thing, Seabass? Six month float? Yeah, so it was, but it was back when it was guaranteed like six months in and out. It was, we went to the Middle East and saw a bunch of stuff. And, you know, it's one of the funny things, it's like, it's the stuff, it was before 9-11, obviously, this is in 2000. I had, I just did a lot of op stuff mainly. And I was in, I was in Qatar and I lived in a warehouse. <laughs> and every day I had to go to the base and drop off the flight plans for where the helicopters are going to be flying that day. And we see they explain stuff and pick up, you know, whoever passengers were coming in and just, just basically ops crap. I would, I would drive around Qatar by myself, no cell phone, no weapon, no, you know, I can't speak the language. I can't read the signs. I just knew where to turn and just, you know, go to this roundabout and make a right and Shit. wait for the big building and then turn right again and then look for the front gate. And What could possibly <laughs> go wrong? Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Think about that. I got detained by the Qatari Air Force because you know, there was a misunderstanding about some ID cards that the uh, the PMC, the recon guys, were coming ashore and they got off the off the helicopters and one of them didn't have their ID card, so they were trying to send it back. But now it was nighttime; we can't send people at night. So I, you know, I spoke up for them and I ended up spending about four hours talking to the CEO of the base about my transgressions and you know I just went to school on them and. Yes, sir. You're right. Whatever. Oh. What do I got to sign so I can get the hell out of here? And we got it all done. Right. Went yeah. Sears school on him. Nice. Name, <laughs> rank, and serial number. Yep. I like that. I'm writing it. But you did it six months, got back to flying? Yeah. Yep. Came back to 211. Okay. It was a QAO, the quality assurance officer. Yeah. And okay. then I deployed. Well, you know, we went to Japan. Working up through 911, I was the, like I said, I was a QAO. So I did most of the functional check flights. And I was supposed to fly a flight that morning, showed up to work, and Fish was the, he was the AMO, and he was telling everybody, hey, when no one's flying, everything's grounded. I'm like, oh, God, we're getting a red strike. What happened? He's like, no, no, a plane hit a, you know, at the World Trade Center. I was like, and I, you know, 
I didn't understand, you know, what that meant. And right. so that week we, it's funny cause we worked really, really hard, probably, you know, seemed like 16, 18 hours a day. And I really, to this day, I can't tell you what we did all day. We were getting all the jets ready cause we thought we were going to, you know, deploy immediately cause we were the next to deploy anyhow. Okay. We, our squadron was supporting two MUs, the thir- 31st and the 13th at the same time. So the, 30, the 13th MU left a little early, and then the 31st MU left in January, and I was on that that half. Send uh, six, six airplanes, eight airplanes. How many did you send on each MU? It was six on the on the 13th MU, and then the 31st, it was supposed to be 10, then it was supposed to be eight, and we wound up going with six. And then we didn't even bring our planes. We flew over the tube and then took over the six busted up hoopties that were left over there for us on the squadron next door of which one of them was capable of attaining flight. Wow. And we had, it took us a while to get them up and running. But once we did, we flew for the rest of the six months. Thanks. And came home. Thanks yeah. fellas. All right. Thanks for, the, yeah, thanks for the hunt. Right? So, Hey, a couple quick terms. You uh, bounced off right. us there. QAO quality assurance officer, product right. maintenance, AMO aviation maintenance officer, aircraft maintenance officer. So right. those are jabs in the squadron. Basically overseeing the troopers that keep the airplanes running for us, keep us in one piece out there. So, best jobs in the squadron, working in maintenance. Yeah, I can yep. that. Yeah, mostly I, I think I got to agree with that because in in the ability to work with the Marines, the young Marines yeah. that are maintaining the airplanes and all that. Not not a lot of by head count, not a lot of Marines in the other part of the squadron. No, you'll definitely get some good leadership experience, both good and other. That you know, so yeah. you know, a lot of pain. A lot, but you know, there's a lot of Marines that I, you know I still see today, or you know, talk to that are, you know, that it's great just to, to know that I, you know, that they remember me from being back in those days. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So you deployed with the 13th Mew? Is that what you said? Or thirty uh, first? Thirty first. All right, and little dyslexia there on yeah. fixed part. Well, I wrote I wrote down. both down, <laughs> and I and I couldn't remember which which one he, which one Seabass went on. So where did you guys where did the 31st Mew go? To the med, right? Uh, we started off in Iwakuni. Uh, we were there for a month or so and then we went to Okinawa, got on the boat a couple times, on and off the boat multiple times. The Essex was the uh, boat at the time. And then we went to Korea, Singapore, we went off the coast of Iwo Jima, and we weren't allowed to go to shore, but the Navy did a flyby for it, so that was awesome. Oh, our, our boat was uh, kind of a disaster. So is that on and off the boat? That must have just been a logistical light nightmare, keeping everybody current and qualified and, yes. and getting their landings. Well, we had, or, yeah. They have a auxiliary field at Ishima now, so there's, you know, there's three, or there were three Harrier FCLP facilities, field carrier landing practice facilities, one at Bogue Field, one at Yuma, at Ox 2, and one at Ishima. And so we would go okay. out there and get field current again. I was in LSO, so we did that over and over again. So it was just back and forth to the boat, back and forth to the boat. So it was a lot of pain. The 31st Mew is, is painful. But at least it was long. Yeah, at least it was long, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, so so when you came back from that deployment, was it? Well, hey, I gotta. I, I'm, let's go back. When you came back from the the tour with the fifteenth uh, Mew, right? Did that reset your clock in the squadron? So you, yes, kind of. It's funny because I I had a meeting with the monitor, and I because this is at the time when 
the big boogie thing was, you know, you're going to get a deploying factor or a deploying factor. Or just, you know, if you screw up, you're going to get a deploying factor. That's what everybody was. That was the big threat for sure. company grade officers at the time. Yeah. Now it turns out everybody I know that did one loved it. And that somewhat includes me later on in life. So I went to my monitor and said, Hey, look, as far as I'm concerned, I did my deploying factor. I deployed, I was in a fact billet and I'm, you know, I'm back. And he, you know, and he said, yep, yeah, I agree. That, that makes sense to me when you're, you know, you were off the, you know, off the list for any kind of orders for the next two years. And so I did two years when I came back from that. So I ended up with my first tour. You can either say it was two two-year tours or one four-year tour. Okay. It's really more one four-year tour. Nice. So the clock figure is talking about you get so much time in a gun squadron, and then they, then they send you to a ground tour of one form or another. And Exactly. Uh, I guess it, it makes us well-rounded Marines. Just <laughs> sure. Yeah. And Jesus actually, I, I did there, several so, yeah. ground tours over my over my career, and a lot of them were they were all interesting in their own ways, and you know some were more enjoyable than others. Did you did you do twenty? Did you do twenty years? I did twenty one. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. T. So what? So what happened after? What happened after VMA two eleven? Actually, what what kind of what kind of Kind of flying, did you? Yeah, what well, you doing? We well, got notes about loss of engine control, and, and we want to. I want to circle yeah. back to your zero zero boat landing too. Yeah, <laughs> what, which, well, which the, go ahead. The loss of engine control was first. That was on night systems, low level. Me and Smash was my flight lead, great American, and we were in in the, in the Yuma airspace, north of Yuma, the 0608 air complex. And I think the floor that's a thousand feet. So I think we're at a thousand feet, you know, on an ingress at night wearing goggles. And I kept getting a nuisance caution where it would just every now and then it would say, caution, caution. I looked down, nothing. Yeah. So, all right, well, I don't know what the hell that is. And then kept flying. And then I finally heard, you know, caution, caution. And the engine just went, I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's different. You know, Mm -hmm. I looked down and it was EFC caution. EFC is electronic fuel control. Right. There are two components on the electronic fuel fuel control to digital electronic control units, and they're both identical. When you get the caution, it means one of them has quit. So it's just no big deal. You just don't don't change the switch, and then just you just go home and land. So I, I told Smash, I to terminate. So it's, you know, let's start climbing up, and we'll talk about it. And I told him that I had an EFC caution. And he said, all right, well, let's start, you know, some join on me. And then that's when it, the plane just went fuel control, fuel control, caution, caution. So it, I lost the other ESC. So now the throttle moves back and forth, you know, freely. Oh, shit. It didn't do anything. It's not, it's no longer really connected to the uh, engine. It's physically connected, but it's not working. Well, the procedure for that is, you know, throttle to idle, manual fuel, the switch on. So, I went to I, I so I came on the radio and said, "All right, Smash, I'm I'm going to you know, go to manual fuel." And I said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you going to manual fuel for? It's only a caution." I said, "No, I just lost the other one. It's a warning now." I said, "I'm going to go to manual fuel." I went idle, reached down, hit the manual fuel switch, and nothing happened. And I was like, "All right, well, I'm, you know, I must have hit it wrong. Hit it again, nothing." There was a plane that had crashed a few years earlier that a guy had tried to go put his dumps on. But instead, he went to manual fuel and torched his engine. So I thought, well, maybe I was doing the opposite of that. So I looked down and I saw the switch and I put it, held it in position, held it, you know, five times, you know, nothing. Yeah. It's not. It's no, 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 stuck. no. Push it like you mean it into position. Come on. If I remember <laughs> right. Hold, 
Hey, one of those switches was a T over center, and the other one was not. I think. There were three. There was they, they used to all three be the little mushroom kind of switches. Yeah. And then they changed the manual fuel to the T switch as a result of that mishap that yeah. had happened a couple years before that yeah. to keep you from making that mistake. Okay. Well, so I did, I'm holding it. It's not working. There's a manual fuel battery by the throttle that you can you can fire and it sends an electrical impulse down and switch it for you. So I hit that. It didn't do anything either. So now it's just, it's the engine was at about 88% when it started and I can't change it. So I, you know, I just put the nose towards uh, Yuma, started climbing up to do a variable nozzle slow landing, which I thought was going to be pretty easy. And it, it would have been save for a couple things. So <laughs> as I, as I climb up, as I'm getting higher altitude, the, you know, basically the fuel in there is stuck. So it's, it's only going to get so much. And so it's the RPM is slowly rolling back. And every time I move the nozzle lever, it puts a drag on the system because it's run by bleed air, this thing called the, the SAMSU motor. It's run by bleed air. And I don't remember what SAMSU stands for, but I could figure it out. <laughs> it, 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 so every time I move the nozzle lever, I'm losing a couple RPM. Oh, shit. Uh, so now I'm coming down. I, you know, I got all set up for a straight end to runway two on right in Yuma. They used to have the, the arresting gear rig on both runways, which I fixed later on in life, but that, tonight it wasn't. So I had to land on the long runway between the gears. They got the approaching gear derigged finally. So I lowered the gear. With, I was in auto flaps and I had the nozzles at about 50 or 60 and I was on speed and now I'm short of the runway and my velocity vector is about three degrees short of the runway. Oh no. And it was, you know, it was just one of those things where I'm like, well, okay, now, now what? So I, I would just nozzle out, which means put the nozzles further aft to get some speed so I could get some more altitude. But every time I moved the nozzle lever, the RPM came back down again. And it would come so down and, would, not, and not return, right? I mean, every time it, you're, yeah. you're just yeah. losing more power and more power every time you move oh, it losing Exactly. And, oh, and shit. something I, I've tried to teach people later on you know, when it comes to variable nozzle landings is that you can piss away energy in this thing really, really quickly, but you're never going to get it back. Yeah, no. And it's always rather to be oh, fast and man. slow. So I was I was on speed. I'm like, well, I can get a little slow, and then I can trade that for some altitude. But by the time it was all over, I, you know, as I was about three miles, I'm like, if I can't make the runway, I'm either I'm gonna have to make a decision. Either if I can land at least close to the runway, I'll just do that. If I can't make it across 32nd Street, which is the big street going into Yuma, then I'm going to point it towards the fairgrounds, which is a big black area, and then eject. But once I mean, if once I've committed myself to cross, I don't want to hit 30 seconds. It's one thing I didn't want to do. So there's all sorts of cars and stuff. So I kept going. I decided I could make it past 30 seconds. Street. I got my AOA up to around you know 14 or 15 units. I mean, I was really you know I had high AOA, but I was still going like 130 knots because it was you know I had, the nozzles by this point are probably about 30 degrees because I didn't realize okay. that putting them forward was making it slow. Touched so AOA is all for an angle of attack. Right. Yeah. So I ended up touching down about 10 feet down the runway across 30 seconds to about 50 feet. Uh, (laughs) 10 feet. Why'd you, why'd you land so long? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, now I have 13,000 feet of runway to stop, which was fine. So, but now the engine still at, you know, by that time it probably got down about 70%. So I, I shut the throttle. I, I I pulled the low pressure cock, the uh, T handle, the, you know, the fuel control shut off. Yeah. Fuel shut off. Cause I wasn't sure that anything was working in the throttle quadrant. 
and uh, so I should now I'm going down the runway, you know, probably at 120 knots, you know, with with no engine and just an accumulator for brakes and nose with steering. And so I, I didn't want to take my because as soon as I shut the engine off, I didn't have oxygen anymore, but I didn't want to take my mask off because I wasn't sure I wasn't still going to have to punch out. So I reached down for the green apple, which was the oxygen you know, little pole. And this tap. is all at night. You got a lot of shit yeah. going on here, Seabag. Right. Yeah, I did. It was at night. And I was like, reach, okay, this is, this is the green apple, not the ejection handle. Yes. Okay. I'm positive. Okay. I'm positive. And I pulled it. And I'm like, okay, I'm still here. It's you didn't eject. Okay. Back. You got, the, got eject, that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> you guessed right. Got it, yeah, got it stopped and got out of the, got out of the jet to a huge reception of fire trucks and Marines that were about to spray me with, there wasn't any fire. It's fine. And that was it. So, uh, you know, that turns out it was a cannon plug on the NF pulse probe. There was actually two separate problems. The NF pulse probe, which is, it, it senses the RPM of the, the fan, the main the L, uh, N1. Okay. And it, it had come off somehow. It was, it was supposed to be, it was a safety cannon plug. It was supposed to be twisted 18 times. It was only twisted once and it came off. Oh boy. Meanwhile, the, the electrical line from the manual fuel switch to the solenoid was cracked and it was in when it was vi- on the ground, it worked fine, but in the air, there was too much vibration and it wouldn't work. So there was just, there was no backup. It was a very strange situation that luckily was able to work out. Well, nice so job. Was, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> nice oh, job getting the plane back for, for crying out loud. That, yeah. I, that was not, that was not well, for the meek. Cause when snake was, the, was right. the group CEO at that point, he said to say, Hey, Steve asked, good job. of bringing my plane back. I'm like, sir, your plane was attached to my ass. And uh, that's what I brought back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's a very right. Good yeah. Point. Just a- Ow, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing heroic about it. It was yeah. strictly you know, self-survival. Yeah. Right. And then you decided to bring one into the boat at night. at zero zero. What were you thinking? <laughs> and, you didn't yeah, have I enough fun no the first go around. That. No, that was, that was actually later. I was in 223. I had gone out. When I came back from the 31st Mew, I was I was got orders to the RAG, be a RAG instructor. And as soon as we showed up, so this was the summer of 02. So summer of 02, I showed up, and Smurf was the was the CO, and he's like, hey, just so you all know, all you guys that just got here and they just came off deployments, uh, any of you all ever flown with a lightning pod? Yes, sir, I haven't. You know, they were looking for lightning pod guys, LSOs, and FCF pilots. And I, and I, I was all of those things. And so were a lot of other guys. It's the RAG. Everyone there has done a bunch of stuff. And they said, hey, this this Iraq thing might kick off. And if it does, the squadrons down the street are going to need some help. And they're going to, you know, they may, you all might get pulled out of here. And none of y'all might get pulled out of here. But, you know, just to let you know, don't get too comfortable. You may end up you know, down the street. Well, that happened to me. I got you know, noticed about two weeks to, Hey, you, you know, pack your stuff. You're going to two twenty three. So, okay. yeah. So I got, to, I, you know, <laughs> before I got to two twenty three, actually had called me and said they needed me to do an SCF for them. Cause I was, you know, they would call the rag and say, Hey, can you get anybody who can do an SCF? And I went down to do it. And I had my, my two eleven coin behind my, my patch. I always carried with me. And so I flew a jet. I had not even checked in yet. I'm still a two or three instructor. But I did the FCF, came back, everything was fine. Went the next day to go to the admin area to, to get my orders and paperwork. And the kid that was working there was like, hey, sir, do you got any, got any good luck charms you carry with you? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I have this, my naked lady pen and I have my uh, my little squadron porn. And I 
you know, I pulled my patch off and the coin was not there. And I was like, Oh man, did I change flight suits last night? And they're like, you know, there's, you know, there's no way, you know, I lost that coin. And I have to be, you know, I was like, what was the last time I sound like, Oh my God, I flew that plane yesterday. So I'm like, so I go over to two, this is meanwhile, I haven't even checked in yet. I go to maintenance control and I'm like, Hey, I know this is nothing. It's probably not me, but I can't find my squadron coin. And I flew aircraft seven yesterday. Have you guys seen it? And they said, Oh yeah, we have it. It's in this, it was in the slaughter quadrant. No. And I, I said, well, you know, Woody's got it. The skipper's got it. I'm like, my God. All right. Great. So I went and put on my alphas and had to go check in and Woody's there and, and it had to be me. I was the only one from 211 that had a, you know. How do you like me so far, Skipper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't make a great first impression, but I, I apologize. He was cool about it. So anyway, so I go on to, to uh, we go on the East Coast Terrier Carrier. We were on the Batan, us in 542. It was a, a Southern Force sortie. So it was like after Southern Watch had ended it, it went to Southern Force before it went to Iraqi Freedom. And uh, so we hadn't started dropping bombs that we were patrolling the southern no-fly zone. Shine was the you know was the lead, and then Trout was dash two. I was dash three. Disaster was da- was dash four, but he went down in the chocks. So we went out as a threesome. We go out, did our sortie, and as we're coming back, it's nighttime. We're going to land what's called a case case one aided, you know, which is right. case one of you know coming into the break, but at night with goggles on. And as we're coming in, they said, hey, how quickly can you guys get here? We're like, well, we'll get there pretty quick. So they're like, all right, well, you know, signal Charlie, hurry up. So we, you know, we turned our dumps on. Uh, we were <laughs> carrying ordnance. So we had, I had a GBU-16, 1,000-pound bomb, a lightning pod. And I don't know if I had a Deccan pod or not, but I was pretty heavy. So we started, you know, to just to speed it up and start a descent. So we were dumping gas to get light enough to land. And then they came on center and said, 99 max and serve, 99 max and serve. After you dumped your fuel. After we had started <sighs> dumping. Like, all right, so we turned the dumps off. I'm like, okay, well, now what? What is, what's, you know? And they said, okay, it's, we're going to go to case three aided. So it's basically an instrument approach on goggles. And it's, you know, the visibility has gone to basically, it's, we can't tell, but it's bad. So <laughs> go ahead. Shit. So we sent da- dash two in first, trout. All right. Just, I just, you know, doing a normal PAR, basically a CCA precision approach radar or carrier controlled approach. So I was on the downwind and I hear, I got paddles frequency up on the right and I hear dash two, who we sent down first, trout. He said, hey, everyone check, you know, 99 landing lights on. So we turned our landing lights on. So that's bad. It means that the LSOs, even with goggles, can't see you unless you turn your lights on. So we turn, you know, we hear screaming and wailing on, on paddles and he ends up waving off. Oh shit. Cause he, he just was way too fast and they didn't see, he didn't see anything obviously. And he waves off and they asked him his state is how much fuel. And he said, he said he had a 1.0. And I, and I remember the first time I was like, that's, that's it. Well, he's he's got eight or 10 minutes yeah. left then. Jeez. <laughs> he's, he's screwed. I mean, he's, you know, that's, it takes about 800 pounds to go around the case three pattern. And yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's, he's screwed. All right, yeah. well, that's not think about that right now. Let's think about, you know, your approach. So I, you know, listened to Shine. He went down next, and uh, there was screaming and wailing. He got aboard. Uh, I was on final with about – at about 1,000 pounds when I was on final. And they said, hey, we need you to do a right 360 to get dash one, dash two back in front of you because he's, you know, he's got next to nothing. 
So I, I raised the gear, did a 360. Now I'm about, I don't know, 700 pounds as I start the approach, which isn't a lot. Typically, we want to be on the ground with at least 800. And, you know, on the boat, we were typically more like about a 1.2, 1.3. Right. So, uh, you know, I start shooting the approach. I hear the screaming and wailing. And you try gets aboard. And then, you know, I get, you know, flying the approach down there. called uh, on glide path, on course, one mile, call the ball. I look out and I don't see anything at all. I said Clara, which means I don't see anything at all. And I did, it was silence for, it seemed about five seconds. It was probably about a second. And Q, another great American, was on the CCA freak. And he said, I recommend hover stop. And I was all right. So I go, I'm like, what now? I'm going to go to hover stop. I mean, you know. This is not this. I've no one. We don't do this. This is not going to work. I don't care. Hover stop. And they said, Roger, hover stop. You're lined up left. Check right. And I look up into the right and I could see a faint glow off to the uh, to my right side. And as soon as I did that, my whole world started tumbling. Oh, Uh, of course it did. Because, I mean, it was just the most disorienting feeling. I felt like I was rolling hard right. And so I, you know, I'm so I'm putting left control inputs in it. And every time I did that, I started to descend. And so there was, just, you know, screaming, well, power, 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 you know, and then, okay, check right, check right, check right. And I, and I came on the radio and said, I, I can see you. I just can't get there from here. I, just, I can't make the plane go right because every time I, I feel like I'm rolling right. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, it's, and I just kept doing it, just the screaming. And, you know, I kicked up so much water that was, because what it was was a sandstorm. It wasn't even weather. It was a sandstorm. Okay. And there was dirt everywhere. And it, you know, I kicked up enough water. I went below the deck edge three times and kicked up enough water to make mud on the bottom of the jet. Oh shit! Yeah. And, and once I got literally a, a beam the spot, which is like one plane width to the left of the boat. As soon as I got about one plane length, everything just kind of popped out, and I could see it. And I just, you know, crossed, landed, and they shut me down. I could see there was a helicopter spinning in front of me. That was a SAR bird. And, Getting uh, ready to come get you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they said, man. I said, yeah. well, you're not going to find me. You're just going to join me, you know, which I appreciate yeah. the solidarity, but it's not going to do any of us a lot of good. Picked the wrong weight. Quit sniffing boots. I was shaking. I had less than 100 pounds of gra- gas on board. Less than 100 pounds. Less than 100 pounds. I tripped the limiters at some point. I remember any of that. Wow. That was March twelfth, two thousand three. So, still wow. the scariest thing I've ever done in an airplane. Well, that you're, that checks that box. The scariest thing in an airplane. Holy yeah. right. shit! Absolutely unbelievable. There, holy cow! All right, hey, well, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor this week, Robin's Bird Brain Designs, and then we'll come back and finish out some of these amazing yet terrifying stories. <laughs> Here at So There I Was, we're proud to welcome as a sponsor, Robin's Bird Brain Designs. Looking for a unique and thoughtful gift? Well, look no further. At robinsbirdbraindesigns.com, they specialize in custom slate coasters that are sure to impress. Imagine having a set of coasters personalized with your squadron logo and call sign, or even your aircraft tail number and instruments. Whether it's for your aviation enthusiast friends or a special someone in your life, Their custom coasters are the perfect way to show that you've put some thought into getting that something special for someone truly special. But it doesn't stop there. They can also create coasters with any organization logo and printing that you desire. From military units or sports teams, they've got you covered. Their high-quality coasters are made from durable slate, ensuring they'll stand the test of time. So why settle for ordinary gifts when you can give something extraordinary? 
Visit RobinsBirdBrainDesigns.com today and let them help you create custom gifts that show just how much you care. Because when it comes to thoughtful presents, they've got your back. It looks like you had some fun out there, too. We got a bullet point here that you had a run-in with a gay chicken. Is that what... Is it a gay chicken or a great? Is it a gay chicken? Oh, shit, it's a gay chicken. Or gray, gray chicken, gay chicken, you know. <laughs> Let's be politically correct that, here. That's important. <laughs> I mentioned that working in maintenance, you know, you get a, a, some leadership opportunity with the Marines, which in some of them you remember in a positive way and some of them not so much. It was on my next deployment in on the 13th Mew. I was a I was doing an FCF. We had a plane that was left on the ship that was that needed a, an engine change or some stuff. And I had it was me and a small debt of Marines that were going to fly it into Iraq. It was in 07 during the surge. And every Marine was off the boat. So I am suddenly the senior Marine on the whole boat. I was a major at the time. And I was, just, you know, which isn't a whole lot. I mean, it you know, sounds impressive if you're a PFC, but if you're, you know, on the boat staff, it's nothing. And so the captain, who was a insane decided he wanted me to be you know at the morning meetings and i was now in charge of all i was a senior marine of the whole boat which includes the combat cargo guys and the combat cargo guys are people from all over the mu that are that are sent over there not for their excellence or their development of any sort there these are kind of the sick lame and lazy for the most part so the, i don't know these guys but i'm now in charge of them so i get an email from the skipper the aco the air combat element commanding officer. And he, he says, Hey, this, there's this guy that's in trouble. I need you to go check on him and find out what he did. He keeps emailing the commandant of the Marine Corps. I need you to make him stop doing that and find out whatever it is he's doing and make him stop doing that too. That's outstanding. See, we were active duty pre-email when yeah. I can't imagine the leadership challenges that that presented once E-mailing. Marines figured out they could just write to a four star. <laughs> Well, you'd be surprised. So what happens is, so I get a hold of this, you know, I go to, first of all, there's an NCIS agent on the ship. And I went down and I asked him, I said, hey, what is this kid's problem? And he said, well, have you ever heard of gay chicken? I said, no, I have not. And he said, well, you get two guys, straight preferably, and the idea is that they come at each other as if they're about to have sex. And the first person to back down loses. So that's gay chicken. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that sounds really dumb. It's like, so him and this sailor are playing gay chicken in birthing, and they wind up with one of them has his pants down. The other one reaches over and touches him on the ass. They immediately turn and point at each other and say, he's gay. He tried to rape me. It's a big mess, you know, <laughs> but nothing had happened. And uh, <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I mean, so I, I pull him up and I'm like, hey, all right, Corporal, what, what exactly is going on? I told him, you know, so he said, it's not my fault. I'm like, okay, listen, I don't think this is that big a deal. Let me talk to the skipper. How about, you know, what's the deal with emailing the commandant? He's like, well, my gunny yelled at me. And I'm like, well, I, I get that. But, you know, there's like 50 layers between you and the commandant. You know, how about this? Don't email the commandant anymore. If you have a problem, you come to me and I will, I will help you. So, okay, sir. So, all right. So the next day, the ship's meeting with I'm now in the MUCO's chair because I'm the senior Marine, I, which right. I did not want to do. But the ship's captain insisted. No. The chief of staff comes up and he's for the, the ARG and he's like, hey, Seabass, do you know this kid? You know, it's corporal. I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, he keeps emailing the captain 
And he's he's a nice guy, but the captain's kind of had enough. Can you please tell him to stop? Like, Absolutely, sure, no problem. <laughs> so I find Corporal Gay Chicken, and I'm like, hey, man, okay, maybe I wasn't clear. And, and by the way, if you'd have seen this kid, you'd know that there was, he's got one eye that's about 10 degrees off boresight. He's not oh, all there. Oh, no. He's not particularly <laughs> bright. I said, maybe I wasn't clear. When I say don't email the commandant, here's what I really meant is don't email anybody senior to me. Okay, so if you have a problem, take everything directly to me. Do you understand? Oh, yes, sir, I get it. So he, you know, I call the skipper, we, I email him, I told him, hey, sir, there's really nothing here. This kid's a, he's an idiot. I, I told him not to do it again. But there's no, there's no sexual misconduct. This isn't, you know, it, it shouldn't be a big deal. He decided to NJP him anyway, which I thought was not, you know, called for, but it's not my call. So <laughs> I had to send him to Al-Assad, which I wouldn't t- let him take his rifle because he didn't seem like he was completely worth it. Uh, with it, he was. Yeah, yeah. So, smart. Smart. Go ahead. NJP. We we know what that means. Can you, can oh, yeah, you we, I don't that? think we've covered that. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you define that for us, please, for our, yeah. for our listeners? Article 15 of UCMJ, also known as. You know, our, uh, office hours in the Marine Corps, captain's mass in the Navy. Yep. UCMJ is Uniform Code of Military Justice. It is an administrative procedure. And what happens is they, you know, it's, it's an administrative proceeding. You basically go there and get yelled at. And the worst they can do to you is take a stripe and half months pay for two months and give you, you know, extra duty or restriction. It's kind of, it's a, it's not a small deal, but it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world either. It's, you know. If for those of you in the airlines, it's like getting called into the chief pilot's office, you know, for some time off. It's not, it's not good, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Thank you. So we sent him to that. I would end up spending the next two years with this kid because we were in the same next command together, okay. which was just, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I was the XO later. Now on. you've got a special yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny. Cause I mean, this is the same guy that, you know, as I got to my next command and I'm the XO, you know, he was surfing, child pornography on the mwr computers no morale yeah no i'm telling you if you knew this kid he's he wasn't doing he i i pulled in my office i yelled i'm like hey listen what are you doing he says i'm finding this pornography and i'm sending it to the fbi which he was he was copying the links onto a email and emailing it to fbi.gov or something and sending links of child pornography to the fbi for future reference, not a good Shoot plan. Me. Yeah, not Shoot not a good me. plan. He 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 was yeah. thought he was doing something positive. I think, right? Honestly, absolutely did. He's he's just not smart. I mean, he's you know there was something wrong with the kid. <laughs> he had one eye that was a little Man. off foresight. That, I mean, that that's always oh, boys gig line weren't right. A few French fries short of a happy meal, huh? Oh. He was he was yeah, it was he was a leadership oh. challenge, as they say. But that's gay chicken. Okay, yeah. thank you. There you go. Oh, that's a scream. That is a scream. Well, we've got a bunch more, but uh, I, I think in the interest of time, we've probably hit hit three or four more here, right. and then get and then I want to have you back. These are great okay. stories. So we've got sea uh, bass to land, red car and white car, snappers crash. Snappers um, crash at pad four. So oh, my okay. wife and I were going out to a lunch. It was during the week. She came to pick me up. And I went out the gate, and I, you know, I hear somebody starting to wave off from pad four, and I see a giant explosion. And it's like, oh my god! I went, you know, for some reason, you know, was, I worked in maintenance. My office was right there, so I just I ran. And I said, "Honey, I'll, I'll see you later. Wait here." And I go run in, and 
a plane had crashed at Pad 4 with a friend of mine, Snapper, was in it, great American. And he was fine. I see him, you know, one of my Marines was going out with one of those big, you know, like the fire bottles that you can like tow behind a tug, you know, yeah. like a, yeah. Oh, right, right, it's, yeah. it's great for putting out a like a fire pit at your house. But An APU fire out, or something. You know. it, yeah. yeah. He's charging off, you know, valiantly with that thing and crash crew got there. He was fine. Then I, I went back because I didn't witness it, but I wanted to make sure everything was taken care of. I go back upstairs and I get to the ready room. Then my wife is still outside. One of the guys was like, was supposed to fly and he didn't feel like flying anymore. So it was with Smash again. And Smash is like, hey, you want to go do a 1v1? This other guy, Myrtle, can't go. I'm like, yeah, yeah, hang on a second. I go tell my wife. So I go run downstairs and I, I t- you know, I, t- I said, you're on you the know, flight schedule. Yeah, I, I picked up a flight. I, you know, I can't have lunch. Love you. Bye. And, you know, took off. And I come back and, you know, <laughs> this is really more about Sammy than me, I guess. But I mean, we do the flight and come back and he's like, what did you have to go tell your wife about? I'm like, oh, well, I was, you know, I just, I was supposed to have lunch with her. He's like, did she see the crash? I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, he's like, so you, you told you, your wife witnesses a, pl- a plane crash. You tell her goodbye and then go flying. So the way it's, you make it sound, it doesn't sound as nice as it was when I did it. But, you know. Mistakes yeah, were made. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. says it was when I did it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Seabass, that's priceless, buddy. That is priceless. The and white car was a little more serious in terms of I was, it was this was a couple weeks into the, you know, during the invasion. I was flying with Dirty, East Coast Dirty, okay. with my wingman, and we were flying north on the southeastern side. We were going up towards Baghdad, and I get a call from the direct air support center, the, the DASC, saying, hey, uh, we've got – actually, I think it was Tropical, whoever, the the, the, TA, the tactical air operations center. And they said, hey, we've got this you know, advisory to copy grid. So I copied the grid, uh, launched you know, the uh, – location of this point of interest and said, we've got this red car followed by a white car. It's driving down a dirt road next to a railroad track in the vicinity of this location. If you see it, you're clear to engage. And I said, okay, well, first of all, I can't see red and white on the lightning pod. It's a, it's a green shades of green kind of thing. You know, gray. Yeah. Was this nighttime? Uh, Nighttime sea bass? No, it was daytime. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm looking, I, I look all around that spot. And at the time, the, the lightning pod was not electric, you know, electrically. We hung it on the plane as if it was an infrared Maverick missile. It okay. did not talk to the mission computer or the storage mission computer. It, it, it thought it was a, a Maverick. So you, when you were looking at stuff through it, you had to have an INS waypoint, inertial navigation system waypoint to stare it at. And then once you dropped, it, you had to guide the bomb with the laser. It, it, it would not update the system. Okay. So I'm looking, I'm looking, I don't see anything. And finally, you know, the, the, the guy on the controller says, well, that was probably about half an hour ago. So he's probably farther south of you, of that position by now. Well, since we're going north and I'm pointing north, I'm like, well, if he's going south, he's probably right underneath this. And I, this is at 20,000 feet. I looked over the right and I, it's, you could look down pretty well. I see this railroad track and I see a dirt road and I see a red dot followed by a white dot hauling ass down this dirt road <laughs> and and i'm like and this is no one was out driving this is the this is during active combat it's before you know president bush stopped on the carrier and all that this yeah. is you know people bombs were raining down yeah. this is no time to be screwing around yeah so i said i i have him in sight i i see him i'm visual 
And they said, Roger, you're clear to engage. So I told my wingman, okay, I'm going to start a right-hand flow, welded attack, you know, one by one, tail instantaneous, you know, and just, I, that's the, the play. So I'm going to roll in on a 45-degree dive, and then I'm going to drop my bomb on, you know, visually on a CCIP, con- continually computed impact point. Yeah. I'm going to drop it on that, which is going to drop a, what's called a stab cue. It's going to sh- it's going to drop a point now that I can point my lightning pot at, and now I can slew away from that and have my wingman drop visually, and I'll just guide his bombs in with my light my laser. So I roll in, I start popping out flares. I you know I've never dropped on a moving target before. I don't know how much to lead it, so I lead it you know not that much, and. <laughs> I dropped, you know, I dropped a GBU-16. I dropped it dumb, which is a thousand pound laser guarded bomb, but it wasn't, it just dropped just like a regular bomb. It hits about 300 feet in front of the lead car and uh, the lead car bursts into flames. The, the second one slams on his brakes, totally buddy fucks him and turns around and just takes off leaving. It goes back to the North. So I told my wingman, Hey, from my hits North 300. And he's like, sir, sir. They're telling us to stop. They're telling us to stop. So who's telling us to stop? Tropicals telling us. I'm like tropical. I think this is you know Mad Dog one one. What are you going? He's like, do not drop on that on those cars. Oops. And it's quiet. I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, well, I already did. The first one's on fire. What do you want me to do? And he says, okay, yeah, just don't do that. And you know, you go back to the boat. I'm like. Going to prison, I, you know. Yeah, wow. I don't. You know, I I <laughs> messed this. I, I, you know, I know he said I was clear to engage, but it's not going to be on the tape because everything was encrypted. So I say, is, is there a problem? And, you know, and they said, no. It's the battle captain's not happy with the, the ID, and you know, so just it's exactly who we think it is. But don't worry about it. Just go back to the boat. So we go back to the boat and land. I went to the intel center and I gave him my tapes and I told him, hey, this is what I did. This is where I was. This is what happened. And I haven't heard anything since. So, uh, <laughs> jeez, yeah, that's not comforting. I would, but the flight back to the boat, I'm telling you, it sucked because I was just like, you know, oh yeah, you know, you know, it made me really think. Hey, man, you know, maybe I was a little bit too quick to to shoot on that one, and you know, I mean, I would, there's a difference between being legal and being right. You know, another week or so later, I was flying same basic scenario. There was a tank that was. It was sitting about maybe three or 400 meters from my house, pointed south. And I was plotting it on my system, was showing it inside a closed airspace, which means that I needed a fact to drop on it. And, okay. Forward air and controller. It, it wasn't Air-air an open – we had open kill boxes and closed – open kill box, you could drop on anything that was military. A closed kill box, you needed a clearance, clearance to do it. It had to be coordinated. Okay. The DAS was telling me, no, we're, we're, we're plotting that in the open kill box. I'm like, well, I'm plotting in the closed kill box and it's not shooting at anybody. I'm not even sure there's anybody in there. So, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I'm not dropping on it. And I didn't, it, and you know, I reported where it was at and, you know, got logged to the next guy, but you know, it, it made me think a little bit better before I engaged. Yeah. You know, not a lot of, you know, you, you can't take them back once they're downrange. That's right. right. Yeah. Can't be. Nope. Can't have that one back. Sea bass to land is actually a little more humorous. That was my third pass at the boat as a as a hairy guy, and 
We had the guy, the LSO that was under training. This is the third third time ever? My third landing ever. On the boat. Okay, okay. You know, my initial carry across. And this was back in 211, you know, years before. And Shifty was the the LSO under training. Smash was the LSO, the training LSO. And I was a new guy. And I, you know, know, didn't really know what I was doing. There was a jet turning in front of me and a lot of wind down the deck. And you get what's called the suck down, which means you get – Oh, As you're yeah. in the hover, if there's a lot of wind, it'll blow that stack of air out from under you and you'll fall faster right. than I was used to. And I'd never seen it before, but I saw it that time. So I'm <laughs> you know, falling like an egg from a tall chicken and I wound up you know, with full power as I hit, which would have been fine, except for I got a really late idle call. The LSO will typically yell idle about when you're about six inches off the ground. That way, you know, everything compresses and you stop. Well, I, right. uh, I was on brainstem and I had full power and I hit hard and jumped right back into the air again. So when he yells idle, I'm 15 feet in the air and increasing rapidly. <laughs> uh, so I went to idle and they're like, pound up, idle, 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 idle. And I, and I just, I went back and forth. I hit like three times. I wound up. I was starting to, to log them to, all, log all three I was, landings. <laughs> I was leaning left each time. Oh, I had, I wound up with full oh. right aft stick, and I was I had decided I needed to eject. This is too late. I'm screwed, and but I couldn't get my hands off the stick, and I hit the last time about 18 inches from the left scupper. Oh boy! And everything got quiet, and I was like, okay, I'm still here. Everything's fine. You know, nothing broke. I didn't hear any. You know. I was, you know, they, yeah, you're done. Taxi over to the, you know, I got a cut pass. It was, yeah. Got a talking to from Gremlin. Yeah. Well, well, you got that out of the way. And now that's known as anytime you have a humongous series of power bounces, that's known as Seabasta land. All right. SBTL. <laughs> a new, a new LS, a new LSS comment. That's right. Made up. <laughs> oh, that's come beautiful. Down the middle Seabasta land. All right. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Well, which do you think? I, tra- what should we close out with? Uh, Karma, Traffic Court, Hornet Kill, Vino in the Break? Hornet Kill on FCF? Well, the FCF, that was probably pretty good. That was 223 when we went over to Iraq during the invasion. We left on the Kearsarge. You know, it okay. was a terror. That boat was awesome for like, you know, day-to-day living you know like they had breakfast at like nine o'clock in the morning and a nice gym and it was just it was nice (laughs) but they didn't want to fly they had they had like six hours of fly day they didn't want to fly they were scared to death of everything and so we did we never got to fly so when we got to the gulf we actually cross-decked from the kearsarge to the batan so we moved all our planes and all our shit from one deck to the other which is a giant pain in the ass and once again there was a one jet that needed a functional check flight and you know, it was me. They got to go do it. So it, there, we have a, the BRC, the base recovery course of the boats, pointing north, and the Bataan was off to the west. And so they said, "Okay, listen." I went and taught and briefed with the Catsy guys, and I'm like, "Hey, listen, where should I go to this FCF that I can just?" It was a C card. It was basically just you know flaps and nozzles and stuff. So I go up and I said, "There's nothing at all east of the boat. Just stay east of the BRC, and you're fine. There's nobody over there." All right, fine. So I, and if you've ever flown in the Persian Gulf, it's, it's very hazy and milky a lot of times. You don't really see a lot. It's, you can see straight up and straight down, but it's, it's of dubious, right. you yeah. know, lateral visibility. So yeah. right, right. I go over to the east side where there's nobody at because it's the Persian Gulf right before a war. It's not like there's anything going on. 
So I go over there as everyone else relocates to the Bataan. I'm knocking out my checks. And I was just about to do the departure resistance checks. And I was doing a, a maneuver and I see this hornet fly out in front of me. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to gun the crap out of this guy. So I, you know, I go to Gunak <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I'm actually, I'm going to shoot him, but you know, I'm just going to get some good pipper burns on his, you know, on the. Yeah. And you had HUD tape. Do you have HUD tape going? Yeah. So you can show your buddies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and so and yeah. by the way, during this whole time, there was something, some screaming on guard every now and then that I just I deselected guard because it was irritating me. I probably shouldn't have because they were yelling at me. It turns out uh, <laughs> I was in the Marshall stack for a CV because oh. I looked down. It, as I've got this guy locked up and I'm about to get pipper footage, I'm like, you know what? This may not be the best idea. Those are actual missiles on the rail that he has. You know, he you know. Plus, I don't know where his wingman is. I don't know what the hell is going on. This is probably not a great idea. So I look down and I see that, you know, remember the BRC was north. Yeah. I look down and I see this giant wake that's going south. And I thought, oh, the boat turned around. Well, well I, was in, I was in the recovery stack for a CV and uh, attacked one of their guys who never saw me. <laughs> Large deck carrier. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't just crash into somebody. I just like right through a holding stack all oh by my myself. Oh my gosh! And the guard screaming was to tell you to get the hell out of the stack. Something along the lines of "Hey asshole, get the hell away from our ship." CV, CV. <sighs> that's a large deck aircraft carrier with catapults and arresting gear, like the like right. you know, like the guys the, that can't hover. And radar and air traffic control yeah. and <laughs> yeah. a floating city. That's right. Oh, that is that You're is. You're in Class B airspace, here, baby. That's that is busy. rich. Well, that just goes to show you that you know the the catsy guys on the on the on a small deck, you know, on a big deck amphib, you know, they think they own. A lot of airspace, you know, all the way to the moon. They have global situational awareness, and they oftentimes don't. <laughs> and, you know, Weird. neither die. So it was a good time. Well, thank you for that. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, just curious, how many uh, how many hours uh, in the Harrier did you end up with? Because it sounds like you flew uh, around fifteen hundred or so. All right, excellent. Nice. We weren't getting them like you guys were back when you know. Yeah. Just, we were, you know, in this, my first gun squad, and we were probably getting about, you know, five to 10 a month. Yeah. And I was actually, since I flew a lot of FCFs, I was, I probably got a little more than that. And then I got about half of them as a rag instructor. And, uh, and we were pissing and moaning. We were getting, you know, 300 hours a year going, oh, this is terrible. This is nothing. Yeah. And, and I know guys yeah. got far less as, it, yeah. as the program went on. Yeah. I remember I got the most I had in the Harrier in one month was like, I think it was 45. And that was in Iraq on the second tour when we were ashore. It doesn't sound okay. like a lot, but that, you know, that was three hours of planning, two hours of briefing and a four hour vol. And then you come back another hour of debriefing. Then I got to do my, I got to stand duty and do my day job. It was exhausting. It was yeah. one of the only times that I remember it came back and they were like, Hey, we got this plane. We need you to go do an FCF on it. And I'm like, oh man, is there nobody? You know, normally you jump all over these FCFs because it's free flight time. But I was just like, yeah. there's no one else that you know. I'm going to go up and just get it done as quickly as possible and, and be done with it because I'm exhausted. But that was then. This is now. And now you're flying your ass off. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Careful what you ask for. Well, right. thank you for all that. Well, I'll say. I so it. obviously, you got to come back. Because there's a lot here sure. undone, and we've been talking a long time already. Cool. Many good yeah. stories. Yeah. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Mostly, thank you for your service. 
No, thank you. Taking it to retirement. Thanks to your bride for the sacrifices that she put up with too, you know, with the military Absolutely. families and make it all possible for those, those of us that actually served. I can't express enough respect and gratitude for the military families as well as the members themselves. That's a big deal. Geez, there's probably a couple other thank yous we ought to start getting out there. I think, first of all, we want to thank a gent by the name of Dave Hamilton. Dave yeah. Hamilton. He's over there. At- Mackie Gab. Mackie Gab is his one shows. I'm a co-host on that. Gig Gab. Gig Gab for musicians. Business Brain. Yep, yeah, I knew there was another one we were missing. And that's all run. Uh, he has uh, Backbeat Media online at backbeatmedia.com. They handle our advertising and advertising for many shows. If you have a show and you'd like to get advertising, reach out to backbeatmedia.com and see what kind of good stuff they can come up with for you. Uh, a couple other things. We've got Dave Hamilton, Backbeat Media, Glossary. We're going to have some more Glossary ads this week, I'm sure. So there I was, us slash Glossary. And if you don't see it, what should you do if you got a question? Send us, a, send us an email at uh, fig at so there I was dot us. Repeat at so there I was dot us or sticks if you really want a good answer. Sticks at so there I was dot us because he's the Absolutely. he's the brain of the outfit. Absolutely. So if you want a cool shirt like I'm wearing, if you happen to be watching the video, if you're listening, tell uh, trust me, I got a really cool shirt on. If you want a cool hat like Fig's wearing, it's way cool. It's a way yeah. cool shirt. Yeah. Get over to the so there I was dot us slash merch. That'll get you. Um, we got a lot of neat stuff. As now that we're getting out of bikini season. But if you want a bikini, you want to bikini. go south of the winter? Do a furry it. Ooh, bikini. There you, you know, for a cold weather. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Could uh, possibly happen, but probably not on our merch store. It, it ain't uh, right. But, I'm sorry I bring yeah. that up. Let's just forget yeah. that. Well, shh. All right. Hey. Two new Patreon pilots this week. Thank you so much to Peter Simon and Patrick Miller for joining up and signing up as uh, pilots on Patreon. Again, we realize everybody who's donating, supporting this show, we know that that money didn't fall into your pockets and you've chosen to share it with us. And that's very humbling. We're grateful to you for that. Peter Simon, call, says, call sign says. There you go. S-E-Z there says. There you go. Yeah. Simon says. Got to come up with Patrick Miller. One for Patrick Miller. We'll think of one for you, sir. <laughs> give us give us some time. I got, All right. I, I, I got one for Patrick Miller. Already. Oh, roll in there, man. Yeah. Light. Miller time. Miller light. light. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. All right. Hey, uh, what what is the number one thing somebody can do for us if they can't throw money in our pockets? And you don't have to. We appreciate when you do. You don't have to. But it's something a, you do have to do. Hey, Here's the price of listening to the show. Give us, well, first of all, share the show. Share the show. Bingo. That doesn't cost anything. Just share it. No. Yeah. Make your friends suffer right along with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, the, the feedback we get all the time is um, it, it's not necessarily from aviation uh, background people. It's people that don't, you know, that aren't in aviation. They love these stories. So please uh, exactly. share the show. It, it, that's exactly it. A couple other quick thank yous. Brad Silcott over at BDSAviation.com provides us with some imagery that we use on the website. Sometimes I put it up behind me. When I'm in a place like today, I can't run a, uh, a virtual background. It makes me look silly. Half my head disappears sometimes. And then, of course, those fine folks that make the Air Force sound good. Who is that, Fig? That's the Dose Gringos. 
Dos Gringos. Gotta love their music. Great music. You can find them at Amazon Music, Apple Music, Pandora, Spotify. Anywhere where you find music, you can find the Dos Gringos. Fun music. Enjoy it. So, I don't know. In the meantime, you got any advice for our listeners? Until next week, Fig. Yeah, don't uh, don't sit on the ejection seat handle. In the meantime, be check like six. that hornet in the pattern. <laughs> yeah, check six. The sea bass with chasing. <laughs> yeah, dumbass. Check six. <laughs> Stay safe and check six. <laughs> was crossing the pond and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life. But we knew there was no way. Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. Oh, hold on. What'd he say? He said it's over. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> no! See ya! <laughs>